counts. It's that sort of waiting, this preparation, this training, this waiting in anticipation of something happens so it's not just passive. You can think of this as in the, when we see a Bible reference of waiting, he talks about the watchtower in the Old Testament. He talks about uh, the 10 virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. It's a standing of guard or it's a staying alert as when things are happening and you kind of want to let things slide or your focus is being diverted by other things. You're being distracted. He's saying, no, you stay alert. So the waiting that is used or this Advent season that we're, we're approaching, it's not just like, let's forget about it. Let's just get busy with, this, uh, with the season and stuff like that. It's really this active anticipation of what's to come. Staying alert because you know that an attack, you know that a situation, you know that this catalyst will come at any moment. And in that small moment, you have to grab that opportunity. It's this sort of waiting that the Bible refers to. So this, this being the, the kind of sense that we have behind Advent, Advent then is an anticipation of the promise that God had given to each one of his people. It's this, I know this is true, so every day I'm waiting for that moment or that opportunity that will come. Because as soon as it comes, I want to grab it. So I don't miss out on the promise that God has for me. See, this promise of Advent is not an empty promise. But this promise is one that requires steadfastness. You need to be steadfast in order to receive the blessing that is about to come. In the meantime, we're not just waiting to die to go to heaven. I'm not sure if you guys ever use that phrase, but I, I remember I used it a lot when I was like this over, you know, <laughs> over like exaggerated teen, right? Like, oh, I just wish I could die now, right? Life's so difficult, right? And because life's so difficult, I just want to die and go to heaven and things will be all okay. The, the kind of thought that I had behind that kind of phrase was like, you know, I'm tired of this kind of like, you know, this challenges that I'm going through life and I just want heaven to come. So basically here I am, I just need to die. And as soon as I die, I go to heaven. But in the meantime, I'm stuck just waiting it out passively. See, this is not Advent. Advent is not about, hey, let's wait till we die because we said the words that Jesus Christ is our Lord and we said the promise that because he died on the cross for my sin and I'm claiming that, that he is my savior, then I just now need to wait for that guarantee to come that when I die, I have this assurance that I'm gonna go to heaven. That's not the advent that Jesus was talking about. See, what the promise is about is a prayer that Jesus left us in the Lord's Prayer, where he says, "May you should pray this way. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's the type of waiting that Jesus was talking about. As we wait, may your kingdom come, the rule of your kingdom, the, the auspices of your kingdom, the way that your kingdom is supposed to function in our relationships, in our environment, in our workplaces, in our homes, the way that it should function. He's saying, may your kingdom come and I will be actively waiting for the full 
fullness of your kingdom coming, but I will begin to do my part as I wait for your kingdom to come. See, our lives were meant to be lived this way as we wait for Jesus' kingdom. So in the meantime, as we are actively waiting, we are doing so with this mindset of, I'm standing guard and I'm staying alert because at any moment, my focus can be diverted to something else. See, it's figuring out how do I prepare? We look at the 10 virgins and they made sure they had more than enough oil, not just what was in their lamp. They had backup oil to make sure that if this runs out, I have more oil to keep it burning. In the same way, our faith, to keep it burning, we make sure, do I have enough oil in my tank? Or do I have enough of these practices, these experiences, these moments that I have in my life that just keep filling me up so that when that time comes, I'm not walking away from Christ, I'm not walking away from the church, or when that challenge comes, I'm not walking away from a certain uh, challenge that God is leading me through, but my tank is full, my faith is oiled up so that I can meet that challenge so that when it comes, I'm ready, and I can pounce on that challenge. Think about those times when we're desperately waiting for something. Think about those times when there's an important application that we submitted, and we really need to know the results of that application. Or think about a test result that you're waiting to come out, whether it's for academia or whether it's for a health test that you submitted, and you're waiting for that result to come out. Think about when you're waiting for a response to an important question. You pose an important question to a friend, to a colleague, to a business partner, or to a future, um, uh, to a future spouse, and you're waiting for that response to come. Think about an important date that you are waiting for to occur. When you think about this kind of waiting, how do we wait? How do you find yourself waiting? Do you find yourself just waiting for time to pass by so that result will come? Or do you find yourself a little bit more active where you are preparing for that result? So you're anticipating when that happens, I'm ready to go, right? Think about how you wait. So you probably noticed that when, when things are really challenging in our lives and we go through challenging circumstances, sometimes what we do as we're waiting for that something to happen, like we're, we're waiting that this needs to happen in order for me to feel at peace so that I can move forward in my life, right? And as we're waiting for a certain result, sometimes we find ourselves so impatient for that result to happen that we just busy ourselves with something else because we don't wanna feel this anxiety or the stress or this burden of feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm just waiting for this, uh, this something to happen. So to make time fly faster, what we try to do is I might as well just preoccupy myself with something else. I might as well just try to get distracted by something else so that we're hoping that through that distraction, we're not so focused on when that result will happen, we're just hoping that our life goes by faster so that whenever that result comes out, we feel like it's, com it's, it's coming to our life in a place where we're not just waiting with anxiety of whether it's gonna happen or not. You know, one of the things that I, as I gotten older, that I find myself longing more and more for is peace. 
Like, I'm not talking about world peace. I know that's gonna sound really bad coming from a pastor. To tell you the truth, world peace is probably way down the list for me. And the reason why is when my own heart and my own mind is out of sync, and even though I'm preoccupied with a lot of stuff and there's a lot of responsibilities I have, a lot of work that I always have to, that I, that I have to do, one of the things that I've noticed the older that I became is it, it almost feels like, the best way I can describe it is it almost feels like this really tiny but very significant black hole, right? That's somewhere in my heart or in my mind. And if I'm not careful, this black hole will get bigger and stronger and make me spiral in. It'll just pull me right in into this dark emptiness. I've tasted it, I've seen it, and I know that it's in my heart. I know it's in my mind. There's moments when I'm working in my, in my basement, I feel this glimpse of, oh my goodness, I, I feel this kind of pull towards this black emptiness. And, and as soon as I feel that, I just try to stop, go upstairs to try to escape that kind of place. And I'm just asking for peace. God, will you give me peace? Because it scares me. This, I've spiraled in it before. I've experienced it before. And when I let it go out of control and when I allow it to suck me into its kind of power or its gravitational pull, I find myself longing for peace. I, for whatever reason, something is unsettled. Something is not right. And I don't know where this comes from, but it's such a heavy presence in my life. I think this is part of the reason when we look at the Advent season and all the themes that could have been given during Advent, like the big theme of grace, right? We need grace. But the first thing that the angels declare to, uh, to the men that they met as they're declaring Jesus has come to this world, what do they declare? Look at Luke, uh, Luke 2, verse 14. They say, glory to God in the highest, or glory to God in the highest heavens. And then they say this, and on earth, and so as for people who are living on earth, they say this, peace to those on whom his favor rests. I think the reason why the angels announce this is because the same thing with the people that were living back then and same thing for people like me experiencing right now, peace is a big thing that we all need to experience. It feels like peace is something that eludes us, that we need to find. You see, in our life, the angels were saying to the people of the earth, peace comes to those on whom God's favor rests. In other words, as you draw close to God, this peace that we're longing for, it comes. Look at John 14, 27. So this was at the advent when Jesus first came. It said this peace will come. But then as Jesus was about to leave his disciples, and before he leaves, he's preparing them, right, for his next coming. But as he's preparing them, look what he prepares them with. He doesn't say, and my grace will be with you. Look what he says to his disciples in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. See, before he left, 
he knew one of the things that the disciples were still exposed to because as of yet, God's kingdom had not fully come on earth. So there's an absence of God's complete reign. And in that absence, there is this darkness. In that absence, there is this heaviness, this emptiness that creates a restlessness, this absence of peace. And so as he's going, he knows this might be a trigger for my disciples thinking like, oh my goodness, our peace is gone. And, and so Jesus reassures them. He says, before I go, I want you guys to know this. My peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. In other words, Jesus is saying, my presence or who I am, I'm the only one that can satisfy the peace that your soul is longing for. The world cannot give it. See, Jesus understood that without his presence, there's a tendency for all of humanity to be pulled towards what he calls troubled hearts, being afraid. But Jesus, he says, do not fear because my peace, my presence, that includes his peace, he says, I'm leaving here with you. So no matter what's happening in the world around you, what kind of stresses and burdens that you experience, this peace can fill your heart. So if peace is what we're missing and what the world cannot provide, he says, why does it feel so elusive when I'm even a Christian? So I'm following Jesus and me, especially with the occupation of being a pastor, why is it I still don't feel peace at times? Well, to kind of give this, um, to kind of like open it up to this kind of illustration, we have a few people who serve in, medical, in the medical field here, right? So if I say to our medical professionals, what is DNR? Do you guys know what that means? When someone comes in with a DNR, what does that mean? Say yeah, say it louder. Who said it? Yeah, do not resuscitate. Are you in the medical field? <laughs> Arun's saying, I, I just know everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it means do not resuscitate. So let me ask someone who's working in emergency rooms at times. Let me ask this question, or I can ask Stephen back there too. If someone comes in, and you know they came in with a DNR, are you allowed to resuscitate them? No, even if, Stephen, the parents are begging like crazy, right? Like old parents, right? This person who's lying there is an adult still, but older parents say, no, you have to. Can you do it? But this guy needs your help. Are you a doctor or not? <laughs> yeah. yeah, why can you not do it? is because you cannot go against the will of that person, no matter how good your intentions are, right? If someone says, hey, I know I have a heart condition, I know I'm going through whatever illness or sickness that I'm going through, but if they have a DNR, you cannot, no matter how good your intentions are, no matter how good of a doctor you are, and you know 100% I can revive this person. You know 100% I can help this person. I know 100% I can actually heal this person. No matter what, you cannot go against that person's right. It's that person's will. 
You know, in the same way, when I, when I began to think about this, I felt like, you know, sometimes when I don't experience God's peace, and I really need that, like I'm like dying, and I'm suffering, and I'm struggling so hard, the reason why I don't experience his peace is I'm living in a certain way, and I'm living with a certain agenda, and I'm living with certain hopes that I have for myself, is I want my life to go this way. And unless things go this way, my way, the way that I'm hoping that I think will give me peace, even though Jesus keeps reminding us, the world cannot give you peace. No matter how much you try, the world just doesn't have peace in it. Because peace, Jesus says, it comes from me. The source of peace is only in Jesus Christ. But in my mind, as a human being, I'm so convinced that a million dollars will give me peace. It will solve all my financial issues and because that's where all my issues lies is finances. I'm so convinced that it's this relational problem that I'm having that's causing me so much stress in my life that as long as this is healed, it'll finally give me peace. I'm so convinced that if Jesus takes away this illness that I have in my body that never goes away and keeps dragging me down and makes me, um, and makes me forfeit the pleasures of life that everyone else can experience, I'm so convinced that it will give me peace. And Jesus says, no, the world cannot give something it does not have. But because I'm so determined and I'm so adamant that it has to be this way, that I need this first, even though God, our ultimate healer, comes along and he says, my peace I want to give you, come and worship me. Come and find peace in me. A lot of times we throw out our spiritual DNR to him. And we just say, no, do not resuscitate, right? I want it this way. It's my will. And God does not go against our will because his character, which is love, does not permit him. Love must be freely chosen. Love must be something of trust that we freely give to God. So even though peace is available and Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, this peace I give you, it doesn't matter whether this guy can heal me or not. It doesn't matter whether God can change all of this or not. But if I keep saying to God, do not resuscitate that way because I want it this way, then we still experience this darkness. And God keeps calling us out of that and saying, come this way instead. But we refuse because we are so convinced that only this will give me peace. See, today's passage not only reminds us that Jesus is our peace, but why we feel so disconnected from it and how we can better experience it. I want to invite you to read, um, to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 14 to 18 together. I'm reading from the NIV. You can follow along on screen. It says this, for this reason, I kneel, oh, sorry, <laughs> 14, I was reading three, uh, uh, 12. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations, his purpose 
was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Father, as we go through your word, help us, Father Lord, to see how this peace that you give us is not elusive, but it's available, accessible to us today in Jesus' name. See, we've alluded in our DNR issue that this is what might be keeping us from experiencing Jesus' peace. But what Paul does here in this letter to Ephesians is he clearly lays, lays out what the central issue of us missing out on God's peace is. Look at verses 1 through 3. As for you, and he says this, you were... Or for, or for a lot of us, we are still dead in our transgressions and our sins. In which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and our thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You see, this passage, it comes a few verses before what he describes as here's this peace that's available to you. But before he says this, he lays out, now here's the obstacle. Here's the challenge that is keeping us from experiencing this peace. Let me lay it out for you more clearly. Look, look at the breakdown that Paul gives, and we can keep seeing how things are broken down. He says this first, we are dead in our transgression. So if we are in sin and we're dead in our transgression, what happens? What's the result? Well, the result of this is because we've been following the ways of this world. If we keep following the ways of this world and not Jesus' ways, we just try with our best moral, ethical guidelines to live this kind of socially uh, moral life as, as, as best as possible. He's saying, you're still following the ways of this world. We're still dead in our transgressions. Look what he says. Why do we follow in the ways of the world? That abides by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. What he makes certain that we understand is not just a world physical thing. He says a lot of this, there's a spiritual power that's behind it. And the spiritual power is what controls us. It's, it's what has this ultimate like handcuffs on our life. Because as much as we want to say Jesus Christ is, is our Lord, if he is really not our Lord in our life and that's not how we're living, then we're living by a different ruler. And that ruler has ultimate control over our life. Now, because of this, which spirit affects our spirit? He says, so this spirit that has now control of our life, it begins to affect our spirit. It begins to wreak havoc within our minds, our hearts, our lives. And then that results in the gratifying of the desires of our flesh. So we keep going this way. In other words, this is like this endless loop that just keeps happening over and over and over again. We keep getting drawn into this black hole and we can't get out. He says this is why 
peace or God's peace is so elusive. It's not just our tendencies. It's the fact that we have allowed a different ruler, a different master to take our hearts, to take our minds. And we are ruled by that. Think about our kind of like holding on to these relational ties that we have. It means that whatever ruler of the year, whatever spirit that's in control of that, it's got our hearts in that area. Think about financial pressures that we have in our life. Then the spirit of mammon, as Jesus describes as God, the spirit of mammon is controlling us and leading us that even though we might think that we follow Jesus Christ, in our hearts, we can only follow one God and mammon has that control. For some of us, it might be a mental health issue and we're going through this kind of like dark negative thoughts that, that Satan keeps bringing in that says things that are not true about who we are. And we keep believing that kind of lie and it has power over us. He's saying it's not just a physical problem, it's a spiritual problem. And that spiritual problem, it can only be addressed by God's spirit, by Jesus Christ. So do we see this problem here? As much as we want to say that God's peace rules over our life. The problem is that we continually remain dead in our sins. And we don't seem to recognize what our true root problem is. We only see the effects of this problem through money, health issues, relational issues. But we don't see Satan's kingdom or that spiritual issue that's behind it all. And whether we admit it or not, we end up living and making choices to gratify that nature that's within us. So what's the solution then? How do we get out of this? Well, look at what Paul says in verse 13 to 14. He calls us how, how can we better access then God, Jesus' peace? In verse 13 to 14, he says, But now in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. I want to make sure that we get that. He's describing peace as not a feeling. He's describing peace as a person. Jesus is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. See, we were bought, or the blood of Christ, he says, or the sacrifice that Jesus made, he says it broke that hostility of sin in us. Remember when we talked about waiting? We said there's this hostile nature to waiting. It's the same thing. He's saying he broke that hostile nature of the nature of sin that wants to keep pouncing on us and bringing us down. He says he broke that posture through the sacrifice of Christ. 
so that it no longer can have ultimate mastery over our hearts and over our decisions. Jesus makes peace possible because he breaks an unseen barrier, a spiritual climate, a spiritual principality that goes over our hearts and over our minds that we cannot see, but it's there. He says he breaks that unseen barrier. We, we talk a lot in business world about glass ceilings. We don't see the ceiling, the glass ceiling that is there, but it's there, right? And that's why some people cannot move past a certain level. In that same way, the reason why we cannot move past a certain experience of God is that there is this invisible barrier that is there, a, a spiritual barrier. And he says, Jesus has broken that barrier, but we live and we continue to live as if that barrier exists because we don't really believe that these barriers can be broken because we only see the physical. We're only addressing the physical issues that are always around us. There is, brothers and sisters, a spiritual realm, and it does influence our experience of peace. And Jesus says he broke that power of hostility. In other words, as much as we engage in the fruit of the problem, the fruit of the problem is these relational issues that take place. The fruit of the problem is money issues that take place. The fruit of the problem is symptoms that we have in our, in our physical mental health that take place. These are the fruit of the problem. As much as we try to take care of the fruit of the problem, what Jesus does on the cross is he takes care of the root of the problem, the very source. We all know this, like when you're doing weeds in your garden or in your, in your lawns, we know that cutting a weed will not solve the problem, it'll just come back out again. And a lot of times, the way that we try to address the issues in our life is if we have financial problems, we address the fruit of the problem. We try to cut, and we keep cutting my expenses, cutting certain, um, uh, certain desires that we want, cutting these kind of whatever, or trying to find a different job, we cut the fruit of the problem, but we never address the root of where it's coming from. And Jesus says, I've addressed that root, and I invite you to come and address the root in your own spirit too. But we don't. And the only place that we can actually experience this is in worship. It's in worship. Because you know what worship does when we gather together and we make ourselves fully available to God? Is in this very short time during the week that we gather together like this, not only are we surrounded by the fuller body of Christ, not only does the fuller body of Christ invite a greater uh, sense of God's spirit among us, but these kind of spaces, it begins to help us change our perspective. It makes us believe again, oh yeah, there is a spiritual realm. Oh yeah, I need to see things in Christ. Oh yeah, I'm reminded about the, it brings to life again the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. It begins to draw it to that surface so that we can see the root of our problem is spiritual, not physical. And every time we're convinced that, nope, 
I'm so busy that I can't show up on Sundays. Nope, I'm so busy that I can't worship. Nope, I'm so busy that I can't pray. Nope, I'm so busy that I can't read my Bible. It's the barrier of the principality of this world. And that's why we're never at peace. It doesn't stick around. So then how do we then access this peace instead of always just trying to address the conduit of the problem rather than the source? Well, here are three things, and I'll end with these three things. The first one that he says, he mentions it in verse 15. Look what he says. He says, by setting aside in his flesh the law and his commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. The word that Jesus is, uh, that Paul is bringing out in here is saying, as we are invited in into worship and we keep coming to Christ, drawing near to Christ, what he does in us is he recreates. He recreates our minds. He recreates our soul. He recreates who our identity is as it was meant to be. That's his job. As, as we keep going back to Christ, he recreates. And he says, this is who you're supposed to be. We see this same theme that Paul gives in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. What Paul is saying is, is, is it's a process that keeps on happening. We keep laying aside the old. We keep laying aside the, the tendency of following the values of this world so that we can be recreated as we were purposed to be. See, this new creation, Paul says, in that same passage in 2 Corinthians uh, in chapter 5, he says, in this new creation, we live by faith, not by sight. He's saying, you cannot see, you cannot experience this new creation by seeing or by addressing the conduit of our problems. He says, you can only see it by faith. And so less exposure to God, less vision of faith. More exposure to God, the more clear our faith is able to see. He continues on in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, in 5.11, he basically says what what begins to happen is the more we draw near to God in worship, the more we begin to fear God, meaning we begin to respect God more than anything else, more than our physical bodies and the, whatever issues that we're going through, no matter how tired we are, no matter how relational strained we are, we say God takes more respect. So instead of waking up Sunday morning, or when we have opportunities to worship together and we just say, today's a rest day. I'm so tired. We overcome that because we fear God more. Instead of saying, I'm so busy with just the busyness of my workspace and all this kind of stuff, we believe that in God's presence, he gives us his perspective so we're not drawn away from things of work because of work and all this other stuff. We say, God takes more respect than anything else that I have in my life. See, Paul, he says, this recreating is only done in us when we actually believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's saying, I'll do it your way, God. 
instead of saying, nothing changes. I just go there every Sunday and nothing really changes and so it's not gonna matter much that I skip a Sunday. That's seeing things through sight. And Jesus says, because you cannot see the work that that does in the spiritual realm of what's going on in the battle for your soul. For you, you might say there's no difference because the battle still wages on. So you came here and God's working his stuff in you through his word, through his angelic host presence, through his Holy Spirit that is here. He's pushing back that gravitational pull of the armies of this world that's gaining more and more ground in our life, but the battle is not a decisive battle that's won every Sunday. It's a pushing back of the territory that they've gained. And so this is why, for some of us, we feel like it doesn't do anything. Nothing has changed. It has changed. It's pushed back that authority that's in your life. Whether you see it through your eyes or not, this is God's word. It never returns to him void. It always goes out and does what it's accomplished to do. That's the promise. The second thing, he says, he recreates that in us. The second thing he says is we have to live by the power of the cross in verse 16. So what does that mean, living by the power of the cross? Well, it means these two things. We live believing that we've been set free to follow Christ, meaning this. No longer do we live in a way that we just say, it's impossible, or I can't do that, or, or our, our automatic excuse that we give to God is, no, sorry, I don't think that's possible. No, we begin to live as if Jesus set us free from that oppressive mastery. So there's a big difference between this true freedom that has broken that, that, um, that slavery and that mastery over us where we could not otherwise follow God and our feeling or emotion of feeling, I can't do this. There's that big difference. For a lot of us, because we still feel disempowered, we still feel weak, we automatically assume that that power is still there, but it's not. He says, you've been set free to follow Christ. And then we begin to have a desire for Christ's righteousness. This is why we long to worship God. This is why we long to read our Bible. This is why we begin to long to read his word. Is because the power of the cross gives us the desire for Christ's righteousness. And then above all, what we continually are reminded of every time we go into his presence through the power of the cross is we are loved. He absolutely loves us. There's nothing that separates us from the love of Jesus Christ. And then the last one, he says in verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. In other words, this, he says, you keep longing for God's word in your life. For those of us who are far away, Jesus says, I'll preach to you too. So for some of us who are still far away from Christ, there are moments in our life 
where we are going to hear God's word, like today. For some of us, our hearts may be far from, but it says, I'll preach my word to you who are far away. And as, as long as our hearts are open to it and we receive it, what happens is it draws us near. Now, some of us, we're even near to Christ. We're really up close. And he says, he even preached to those who are near. In other words, he's saying, draw nearer still. See, this is our access to peace. We keep wanting to draw near to Christ so that he changes our perspective, he, he changes our attitude, and we begin to be transformed by his presence. Brothers and sisters, we need to keep putting ourselves in a position to hear his word and allow us to be drawn more and more to his perspective, his truth, and his lead in our life. Now let me end with this. Do you have peace? Are you experiencing this peace of God that he says, I leave with you? And if we're not, let's go before him and allow his word to recreate us. Let's go before him and allow the power of Christ and the power of his cross to heal us. Let's go before him and hear his word and keep drawing near to him and trusting that as we do, we begin to experience this peace as the barrier, this hostile barrier in our life is broken through the blood of Christ.